Let's take a Bible and open it together. 2 Samuel chapter 7, if you would, please. 2 Samuel chapter 7. And uh, if you didn't bring a Bible, how about borrowing our copy of the Bible? We're going to be on page 219 of our copy of the Bible. Page 219 or 2 Samuel chapter 7. Now, you know, for the last 50 years, the, probably the most stable country in the Middle East has been the country of Jordan. And for 46 of those years, it's been ruled by the same man, a fellow named King Hussein. Of those, uh, for those 46 years, he's been the ruler of Jordan. 33 of those years, uh, for 33 of those years, his brother, Prince Hassan, has served in the role of crown prince and heir to the throne. And last year, when King Hussein developed cancer and had to come here to the United States for treatment, his brother, Prince Hassan, took over running the government in the king's absence. And, of course, the king's health has been doing uh, steadily worse. And so it looked like after 33 years, finally, Prince Hassan's wait to become king is about to be over. However, if you've been following the papers, you know that last week all of that suddenly changed very dramatically when King Hussein removed his brother from being crown prince and from being heir to the throne. Now, you might say, well, why, after 33 years, would he have done something like this? I mean, what prompted this kind of a radical move? Well, the answer is, according to USA Today, that the king was annoyed with the arrogance of his brother. He felt like his brother wasn't acting like crown prince. He felt like his brother was acting like the new king. And, and, and while he was in America, the brother was strutting around Jordan, acting like he had already ascended to the throne. As a matter of fact, what really irked King Hussein was that Prince Hassan allowed his wife to begin redecorating the prince's office in kingly style in anticipation of his ascension to the throne. But guess what, friends? The king ain't dead yet. You understand? And he made that perfectly clear this week. Prince Hassan is gone. His wife is gone. That office is never going to be the king's office, the one Prince Hassan had. And isn't it sad that after 33 years of waiting, Prince Hassan lost it all, and he lost it all because of arrogance. Now, you know, I, I'm not an expert on human behavior, but I do try to keep my eyes open. And after 50 years, I've noticed something. I've noticed that one of the hardest things in life to do, it seems, is as you go up the ladder of life, as you experience success and advancement in life, at the same time, to maintain an attitude of humility, to keep that success from going to your head the way it did to Prince Hassan's head. And this is what we want to talk today about. We want to talk about staying humble as God grants us success in life. <clears throat> Paul said, Romans chapter 12, verse 3, he said, Brethren, I beg you, do not think more highly of yourself than you ought, but use sober judgment. And you know, this is an important issue because Jesus himself said, God lifts up the humble, but what does God do to the arrogant? He puts them down. And so, friends, being a humble person in the eyes of Almighty God is the secret to God continuing to lift us up. This is an important thing to learn how to stay humble even as God grants us success. Now, we're going to look at a passage where David did this very thing, and we want to use 
his example as a platform for us. So let's look together. Here in Second Samuel chapter 7, remember David has become king over Israel now, and he has his dream to build a magnificent temple for the Lord. But the Lord says, no. No, David, uh, it's not going to be you, it's going to be your son. But he doesn't leave David there feeling disappointed and rejected. Instead, God makes David a wonderful promise. Look at verse 8. He says to David in verse 8, he says, David, he says, this is, this is what I want, Nathan, I want you to tell David. I took you, David, from the pasture and from following the flock to be ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone. And I have cut off all of your enemies from before you. And now, David, now I'm going to make your name great, like the names of the greatest men of the earth. Verse uh, 16. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. And so God says to David, David, you're not going to build a house for me, son. I'm going to build a house for you, a a royal dynasty, a kingdom, a lineage that's going to last forever. And more than that, David, I'm going to exalt your name like few people ever have had their name exalted in the history of the world. So here we have God exalting David promoting David, advancing David in a way that God had done for very few people in history. How did David respond to all of this? Well, look at verse 18 and we'll see. And David went in and he sat before the Lord and he prayed. And here's what he said. He said, who am I, O sovereign Lord? And what is my family? We're nothing that you have brought me this far. And as if this were not enough, O Lord. Now you've gone on and spoken about the future of the house of your servant. Verse 20, what more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O Lord, you know who I am. And for your sake and, and, for, for, and according to your will, you have done this great thing and made it known to me. How great you are, O Lord. There is no one like you and there is no God but you. Now skip down to verse 25. And now, Lord God, keep forever the promise you've made concerning me, David prays. Do as you promised, verse 26, so that your name will be great forever, so that men will say the Lord Almighty is God over Israel, and the house of your servant David will be established before you. What does David do? In response to this wonderful promise that God gives him, David goes in and he prays. And what kind of prayer is it? Well, it's a God-centered prayer that flows out of a God-centered heart. Uh, The the heart that prayed this prayer was not a Muhammad Ali heart. You know, I am what? The greatest. No, it wasn't that kind of heart. It was not a Donald Trump heart that prayed this prayer. Donald Trump said in the art of the deal, bankers now come to me to ask if I might be interested in borrowing their money. They know a safe bet when they see it. Not that kind of heart. It was not a King Nebuchadnezzar heart. Daniel chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar says, Is not this the great Babylon that I have built by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? No, it's not that kind of heart that prayed this prayer. It was a humble heart that prayed this prayer. A heart that doesn't just assume it deserved all the blessings that God gave. A heart that was overwhelmed by God's goodness. A heart that was truly grateful and a heart that gave the credit to God, not itself. David's heart was a heart that wasn't too big for its chest cavity, if you understand what I'm saying. 
was a humble heart. Somehow, David found a way to stay humble in spite of God exalting him and making him wildly successful, he found a way to stay humble and to start his prayer off by saying, God, who am I that you would do this for me? It's wonderful. Now, that's the end of our passage, but it leads us to the most important question. And you know what this question is. One, two, three. I know I threw your timing off, didn't I? Did I throw your timing off? All right, let's do it again. Ready? One, two, three. All right, much better. Good. You say, Lon, what difference does this make to my life? I mean, uh, you know, great that David had this wonderful prayer, but I don't see what difference this makes for me. Well, I think it does. Because how David stayed humble like this is what we want to talk about. Because if we can figure out how he stayed humble, then we can use those same principles so we can stay humble. I got a letter right after we received approval from the National Wildlife Federation from the county a couple weeks ago. And this lady writes me, and I'd like to read you just a tiny part of it. She said, first of all, congratulations for the acquisition of the property. What an awesome achievement. I have to tell you, though, that I have very mixed feelings about the approval. On one hand, I think how wonderful for the continuing advancement of the kingdom of God here in Washington this is. But she said, on the other hand, I see foreshadowings of what happened to us in Gainesville, Florida. And then she goes on to tell me about how in college she went to a large church in Gainesville, Florida. And the minister there went ahead and did some awful things and eventually got thrown out of the church. And then she says, not to say that you, Lon, are headed down that road. Well, that's wonderful to know. But, but, but she said, but as, but as a caveat... Uh, what I'm trying to say is that sometimes people can become as big as their accomplishments. And my fear is that you will become some unapproachable and unavailable super pastor, that you will compromise your integrity, and that the same thing will happen to you as happened to my pastor in Gainesville. He said, Lon, how'd you react when you got a letter like that? Well, I, I thought that's a wonderful letter, because she's right. She's absolutely right. Is this something, is this kind of a concern that, that we ought to have? Absolutely. All of us. Because as I said earlier, friends, staying humble while at the same time experiencing success is a major challenge in our world. But David did it. So let's ask the question how and see if we can figure out how we did it so that we can do it that way. Now, you might say, well, Lon, wait a minute, before you do that, just time out for one second. Why are you telling this to us? I mean, you ought to be telling this to the Rockefellers and the Kennedys and the senators and congressmen and big muckamuck CEOs. I mean, most of us here have never experienced any earth-shattering success. We've never had our picture on Fortune 500 magazine. I mean, why are you telling this to us? Well, let me tell you why I'm telling it to you, friends. It's because the size of a person's success, I have learned, has no automatic connection with the level of their arrogance. Have you learned that? I mean, I come across some incredibly arrogant people, and I find myself looking at them and going, what have you got to be arrogant about? You've never done anything. But... Friends, the way it is, is that, you know, arrogance can thrive on some awful small successes. It's amazing. And so you don't have to be a Rockefeller. You don't have to be a Kennedy, and you don't have to be a muckamuck CEO to be arrogant. As a matter of fact, I've met some very arrogant people whose successes are very ordinary. 
And so, yes, I'm talking to you. And I'm talking to me. Because arrogance is a dangerous thing in our life. Remember what Jesus said, God puts down the arrogant. I don't want to be in that position, do you? That God has to put me down? No, I want to be in the position where Jesus said, God lifts up the humble. That's where I want to be. So every one of us here has a lot at stake in insulating our lives and protecting our lives against arrogance. Now, how do you do that, especially when God's giving you success and taking you up the ladder? Well, there were four things right in this passage that David remembered that helped him do that. And I want to share them with you in the time I have left. Number one, David, first of all, remembered where he came from. He remembered where he started. In fact, God reminds him of that right in verse 8. Look what he says. God says to him, David, I took you from the pasture and I took you from following a bunch of sheep and I made you ruler over my people. David, don't you forget where you came from, son. You were a shepherd. You spent your days out there on the hillside following goats and sheep around where the most intelligent thing anybody ever said to you all day was... That's where I found you. And frankly, you were the runt of the litter. Your family didn't even think you'd ever amount to much. Remember when, when, when Samuel came to anoint the new king from your brothers? They didn't even go out and bring you in and line you up. Because they said, well, we know it's not him. You remember where you were when I found you, son? And I took you from there and made you king. But don't you ever forget where you started. Folks, this is such an important principle for staying humble. No matter how far God takes you up the ladder, remembering where we started, remembering how unlikely a candidate we were, remembering how much the odds were against us ever getting to where we were, remembering how uncanny it is that we are where we are today. And when we lose that sense of awe, that starting as we did with the faults that we have, we've ended up where we are, when we lose that sense of awe over that, that's when trouble begins. David was the king of Israel. David was the victor over Goliath. David was the conqueror of Jerusalem. And now he's the owner of this wonderful covenant here from God. But David had not lost his sense of awe about God's undeserved goodness to him. That's why he starts in verse 18 and says, Lord, who am I? I'm nothing. And what is my family? We're nothing that you, Lord, have brought me this far. David said, when I think about it, all I can say is, wow. And friends, when you lose the wow about where you are today versus where you came from, when you lose the wow, you better watch out because that's when arrogance starts. I don't know about you, but when I graduated from high school, we had this thing called senior superlatives. Did you have that in high school where you voted on who was the cutest and who was the best dressed and who was the smartest and you picked a girl and a guy? Did you all do that in high school? Well, of course, one of those things was most likely to succeed and you voted on that. Now, I need to tell you, I didn't win any of these. In fact, I would be very surprised if I even got a vote in any of these. But let me tell you, it, there's a category that if they had had it, I would have been the landslide winner. I mean, I would have won hands down in my high school. And that category is least likely to have succeeded. And I'm not kidding you. I grew up in a home where there was nothing but conditional love. I was emotionally scarred coming out of that home. I had no discipline in my family. I was like a wild animal. 
Uh, I had a terrible self-image. I was hugely obese. I was in terrible physical shape. I was embarrassed about myself. I hated myself. I was paranoid and insecure. I was an emotional basket case. I had no morals, no ethics, no standards of any kind to base my life on. Uh, my behavior was out of control. Out of control. I made straight U's in conduct. When I was in high school, they gave you grades and then they gave you conduct grades. My dad used to say to me, how in the world can you make straight A's and straight U's? I do not understand it. Well, I didn't understand it either. My, my behavior was offensive to everybody around me. I had no friends in high school. And do you know, I even got kicked out in my junior year of my homeroom. I mean, I'd been with these people all the way through elementary school, all the way through junior high school. They were the only friends I had even close. And the homeroom teacher I had got so upset with my behavior, she had me kicked out of her homeroom and they sent me over to E-Wing. Now, E-Wing was the place in our school where they put all the 25-year-olds that are still in high school. You understand? These are the people who go in and make knives in shop, period. That's where they put me. And if there was ever a candidate to totally fail in life, it was me. I'm not whipping this up on you. You ask anybody I went to high school with, I'm telling you the straight up truth. And every time I'm tempted to let some success go to my head, God taps me on the shoulder and whispers to me and says, Solomon, hey pal, Remember where you came from. Remember where I found you, son. Don't you dare begin believing your own PR. You remember where you were when I found you. And I'll bet there's a lot of you here who can relate to that because when God found you, you weren't much anything either. And look what He's done with you today. But the secret to staying humble is don't you ever forget what you were when God found you. And may I say that if you're here and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you know, I used to in high school look at my life and, and feel like there was all this wonderful potential inside of me, but I never knew how to get it out. I had so much baggage and, and I had so many liabilities. I, had no, I couldn't figure out how to get that potential out and make it real. It was only when I gave my life to Jesus Christ and He moved into my life with His power that He was able to overcome those liabilities and that baggage so I could begin to reach the potential I really had. And may I say to you that you've got a lot of potential too, but you're never going to reach it unless Jesus Christ comes into your life because you've got too much baggage and you've got too many liabilities. We all do. You want to be the best that you can be, my friend? Let me tell you where you start. You start by giving your life to Jesus Christ and letting Him become your partner in making you everything that you can be. Something to think about. I hope you will. There's a second principle, and that is that David not only remembered where he came from, but he remembered who got him where he was today. You know, uh, verse 9, look what it says here. God says in verse 9, He says, Now, David, I have been with you wherever you've gone. And I have cut off your enemies from before you. And now I will be the one to make your name great, like the names of the greatest men of the earth. God says, hey, David, it was not luck, fate, coincidence, chance or good fortune that's responsible for you being where you are today. Neither was it, David, anything that you have done for yourself. Look what God says. He says, it was I who have been with you. It was I who cut off your enemies. It was I who will make your name great. David, God says, David, it was I, I, I. 
And David acknowledges this. Look at verse 21. He says in verse 21, For the sake of your word and according to your will, you have done these things for me. I'm where I am today, David says, because of your will, God. Not because of me, but because of your will. You wanted me here. You put me here. Now, folks, when it comes to us as Christians in the 20th century, the same thing is true wherever you are today. Whatever measure of success you're enjoying today, the reason that you are there is because of God's sovereign decision to put you there, nothing else. You say, yeah, but Lon, you know, I'm a visionary, and I'm educated, and I worked hard, and I took risks. Wonderful. There are lots of educated visionaries who took risks and worked hard that are dismal failures today. That's not why you made it. If you made it anywhere, it's because God, by sovereign decree, decided He was going to bless your life. That's the only reason you are where you are today. Psalm 75 says, Not from the east, nor from the west, nor from the south comes exaltation. God is the one who lifts one person up and brings another person down. If you've been lifted up, it's because God decided to lift you up. No other reason. And you see, friends, remembering this is an important weapon in staying humble. Because if you and I see whatever success we have had, if we see whatever prominence and position we have, not as an achievement that we earned ourselves, not as something that we rated ourselves, but if we see it as a, a sovereign gift from God Himself, undeserved, just a blessing from God, then you know what? That helps us to stay humble. Because, hey, if it's a gift from God, if you didn't do it, somebody gave it to you. Well, what is there to be arrogant about, huh? I love what Paul said. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 7. He said, what, did you, what do you have, Paul says, that you didn't receive? May I ask you, what do you have you didn't receive? Everything you are today, you received. God gave it to you. So, me too. So, Paul goes on to say, and if you received it, then why are you arrogant about it as though you did it on your own? Explain that to me. Somebody gave it to you. What have you got to brag about? Good point. Principle number three. Is David not only remembered where he came from and who got him where he was, but number three, David remembered the reason why God allows us as Christians to have success. Do you ever think about this? Why would God want to take your life and crown it with success and achievement as a follower of Jesus Christ? Why would God want to do that? You say, well, so that I can live in comfort and affluence. No. So, so that I can have all the benefits of being successful. Negative. Uh, so that I can bask in the spotlight and have everybody tell me what a wonderful person I am. Negative, Ghost Rider. Mm -mm. Why does God give success to people like you and me? I'll tell you why. Because He wants to use that success as an opportunity to display Himself as a platform to, to point people to Him, as an opportunity for the spotlight not to be on us, but to be on Him, and for a chance for Him to talk about His greatness and His mercy and His goodness and His power and His awesomeness. When God gives goodness and, and, and success to you and me, friends, He wants the credit. That's why He does it. The credit belongs to Him. That's why He picks people like you and me why he picks ordinary people that the odds are against them ever amount to anything and why he exalts us. Why? Because God gets more credit 
when he takes people like I was in high school and does something with you, than when he takes somebody that the world would all look at and go, well, sure, I see why they're a success. People look at me and go, there is no earthly reason why you ought to be a success. And I say, you're right. The credit doesn't belong to me. The credit belongs to God. You know, I had a Jewish mom growing up. um, Because I'm Jewish. That's how that works, you know. And I had a Jewish mom growing up. And my mom and I um, never got along so good. In fact, 99% of the reason why I was so sick is directly traced back to that woman. And so um, we didn't get along so good. But you know what? After I became a believer, God began to, to, to work on my heart and began to say to me, You know, Lon, you know, your attitude towards your mother is wrong. You need to honor your mother. And you need to love your mother. And you need to respect your mother. And you need to repair that relationship with your mother. And I knew God was right, so I began praying about it and asking God to help change my heart towards my mother. And He did. And a few years later, I was in a telephone conversation with my mom. And she said to me on the phone, she said, you know, you have become such a wonderful son. And I said, Mom, let me tell you something. I said, you are giving the credit to the wrong person. I just need to tell you that. I am still the same selfish, inconsiderate, awful son I have always been. Don't kid yourself. But what you're seeing is you are seeing the effect of Jesus Christ changing my life. That's what you're seeing. And so, Mom, you need to give the credit to Him. I don't deserve the credit. It's not mine. If Jesus Christ were not in my life, I'd still be the same awful son you hated. What you're seeing is the effect of Jesus Christ in my life. He said, but Lon, wait a minute. You know, you can't say that to people in the real world. That sounds cheesy and and self-righteous. And, you know, when somebody gives you a compliment, you can't stand there and give them a little speech like that. Well, you're probably right. So maybe on the outside, when somebody gives you a compliment, all you say is thank you. But let me tell you something, my friends. Even if out loud to others, we simply say thank you, Inside, to ourselves, we had better be saying, Lord, you know that's not true. You know it's not me. Lord, you know the credit doesn't belong to me. I'm not even going to take it, Lord. I'm just going to boomerang it right on through to you because that's where it belongs. Boy, we better be saying that on the inside because if we're not, if we're not, man, trouble is about to start. When we start claiming the credit for ourselves and start believing that we're up to the credit, mm mm-mm. And David knew this. Look what he says in verse 26. He says, Lord, do as you promised. Why? So that people will say how wonderful David is so that I can build a monument to myself? No. So that, verse 26, your name will be great forever and men will say the Lord Almighty is God over Israel. David said, Lord, make me great, wonderful, but Lord, may that turn into something that lifts your name up, not my name. And folks... It's when you and I are dedicated to making sure that the credit from our success goes to God and not us. That acts like a huge damper on our ego, a huge damper on our pride. Principle number four, and finally, David remembered the consequences of forgetting these three other things. In other words, David said, wow, look what's going to happen if I forget these three things. 
And you know he had a wonderful example right in front of him. Look at verse 15. God says in verse 15, My love will never be taken away from your son, David, as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. See, David had seen Saul pay the price of forgetting all three of these things. Saul forgot where he came from. He forgot who put him where he was. He forgot who the glory belonged to. And the result was disaster. And David saw that. And he said, whoa, I better wise up and remember the consequences of forgetting these things. Friends, throughout the Word of God, the Lord warns us in the Bible about the dangers of letting success go to our head. Beginning to believe that the rules are for other people. Beginning to believe our own PR. Proverbs 16, verse 18, pride goes before destruction and an arrogant spirit goes before a fall. Now, you would think as many times as we have seen people in the Bible and in our modern world go down that path and end up in the ditch because of arrogance, you'd think we'd have learned by now, wouldn't you? Did you read in the paper this week about Reverend Henry Lyons? Tragic story. Mr. Lyons, African-American um, pastor from Florida was born uh, in deep poverty, raised by his grandmother in a little old shack, tiny wood shack in Gainesville, Florida. You know, but, but he suffered through the segregation of the Deep South, but, he, but God blessed his life. He became a very prominent pastor in Florida. He became a consultant to presidents of the United States, and he became the president himself of the, one of the country's largest black church groups, the National Baptist Convention. And yet he goes on trial this week along with a woman with whom he was having an affair. And they're accused of pocketing millions of dollars intended for the National Baptist Convention, using it to buy lavish homes, expensive cars, diamond jewelry. Among the money that they pocketed was over $200,000 dedicated to rebuilding burned-down black churches. He kept the money for himself. Lyons is also accused of lying to corporations who gave him money to advertise their services to what they thought was a huge constituency, 8.5 million members in the National Baptist Convention. Except the truth is, there's less than a million members in the Baptist Convention, and he lied by eightfold. And after Lyons finishes facing state charges in Florida, the article I read said he faces an additional 54 federal charges of bank fraud, extortion, and money laundering. And you know, I read that article, I almost cried when I read that article. This is so tragic. I mean, that here was a man, a man I believe who set out to be a well-meaning, sincere servant of God. I believe that at some point in his life. He really wanted to do that. And God gave him enormous success. Enormous. But he's in the ditch now. And I can tell you, if we began tracing it back where something went wrong, at some point in his life, he forgot all four of the things we've been talking about today. That's where the trouble started. He forgot where he came from, forgot who got him where he was, forgot who, belong, who the credit belongs to, and he forgot the consequences of forgetting this. And you know, the ditch is full of Christians like Reverend Lyons, men and women who set out to be well-meaning servants of God, and not just in vocational ministry, but in industry and in business and in their families and in education. And God granted so many of these people success far beyond what they deserved, but the success went to their heads and they forgot everything we've been talking about and they ended up in the ditch. You know some of these people, so do I. You know the really sad thing? David himself 
in about five chapters, is going to forget everything he knew in this chapter, and he's going to shoot himself right out the saddle. Because you see, friends, it doesn't matter how well we've remembered these things in the past. That's no guarantee for the future. We've got to keep remembering these things. God loves you and me so much, my friends, as Christians. God doesn't want this to happen to us. And that's why He's here this morning saying to you, Hey, don't forget some things. Remember some things. It'll help you stay humble. Number one, remember where you came from. Remember where I found you. Number two, remember who got you to where you are today. You didn't get yourself there. Number three, remember where the credit belongs. It doesn't belong with you. Don't take it. Don't put your hands on it. It's not yours. And number four, for goodness sakes, don't forget the consequences of forgetting all this. They're severe. Be careful. Friends, I don't know about you, but I need these principles every day. I need them multiple times during the day. And you need them too. Doesn't matter how good you've done it in the past. We're going to see from David. You can still get out the shot out the saddle in the future. May this be the way we live every day. Lord, I remember where I came from. I know who got me where I am. I'm not taking any of the credit. And Lord, remind me how serious it is to forget all that stuff. Let's pray together. Father, thanks for talking to us about some really down and dirty issues of life. Arrogance. Pride. Selfish pride. Ego. And you know, Lord, our world system screams into our ear every day through radio, through television, through the printed media. You're something. You're wonderful. You're a big shot. Live like a big shot. Lift yourself up. Push yourself. Push your agenda. Take the credit. Thank you for reminding us today, Father, that this is the formula for destruction. Humility is the formula for blessing. And God, may we take the principles of your word that we've learned today and may we fight off that propaganda of the world system. And may we be able to remain humble men and women of God, no matter how much success you send our way. God, use these principles, I pray, to change our life. And if any of us here need a course correction in this area, use what you've talked to us today about, Lord, to bring that course correction into being. Keep us humble men and women of God so that you can lift us up the way you promised. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.